0: Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Pat. Are y'all serving, it's always a blessing. You know, the scripture says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It says, Use everything we have on the stringed instruments, uh, all that we are, to bring glory to God. Amen. Amen. So when you have that, and that's a possibility, uh, we we want to see God use it and use it for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right. Y'all tell me, what have y'all been gleaning as we've been searching and seeking and praying and going through the Word of God? Y'all know y'all have something that just is encouraged and blessed and helped and strengthened your journey that you want to give away, that you want to give away, that just built faith in you. That's what the Word does. Faith cometh by... Hear it and hear him by the word or the report or the message or the news of God. And when we read these fresh encounters of the work of Jesus, that's what it's to do. It's to uh, apply, uh, be applied in our own journey of these testimonies. Uh, for an example, look in chapter number 8. Chapter number 8. Look in verse number 16. The word went out. We want to be be declarers. We want to be proclaimers. We want to send the word out. Hey, They they can stop us, but they can't stop the word going forth. They can bury us, but they can't bury the word. Amen. They can kill the missionaries, but they can't kill the message of the missionaries. Verse 16 says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And Jesus cast out the spirits with a word, a word, a word. And He healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He Himself, notice, He Himself took our infirmities not just their infirmities but what our Our. I mean now we're getting we're getting personal we're getting practical in this that he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and he when Jesus saw great multitudes about him he gave a command to depart to the other side so just that little word our Our, our, I want to be in that our word, amen? Not that, well, Jesus is doing everything for everybody else, uh, but it has no bearing on me. I want to be in that narrow way that when the testimonies go out, I can say, hey, he's done something for me, amen? Amen. That he's at work in me, he's working on me right now, and uh, thankfully so. Not there, but our, what they were saying. And uh, that that little phrase in verse 17, that it might be fulfilled. I've been circling every one of those. I just love that little little phrase, that it might be fulfilled. We've been seeing that again and again, that it might be fulfilled. And then he brings an Old Testament prophetic promise, saying this is the word that he spoke and this is the fulfillment of that word, that it might be fulfilled. Fulfilled. I mean, from, from Mary and Joseph uh, all the way through with John, all the way, that it might be fulfilled. I want to be in that prophetic word that over my life that, hey, uh, the word is coming alive in me, amen, that it might be fulfilled. Because the scripture did say that Jesus would go forth, he would build a kingdom. That it might be fulfilled, piecing the puzzle together. Y'all know one piece of the puzzle uh, sure makes a difference, don't it? That it might be. You take one piece from a puzzle, you don't have the complete puzzle. I mean, you've got to have every piece of the puzzle. It just don't come together. It's so frustrating to get to the last piece and it's gone. It, it sure is. I mean, is that where that goes? Okay, it looks good. I think it fits right there, huh? You take that and that every time you read those words, that it might be fulfilled. That's one more piece of the puzzle. Just one more piece of the puzzle that he's putting together. That's what you're reading right now. That's what we are going through. That the puzzle is being completed that God had proclaimed and painted a picture of. And uh, we see it being pieced together, piece by piece to fulfill all righteousness. That little phrase we talked about Wednesday night with John when he said, John, you got to baptize me that we together, us, might fulfill all righteousness. It's not that Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. It's Jesus involved in John's life that is fulfilling all righteousness. It's Jesus fulfilling His work in us that is fulfilling all righteousness. And uh, God's got a, a eternal purpose and we're part of that. So y'all give me something. Y'all give me something. She said she'll put a damper on everybody. Y'all think she'll put a damper on everybody? Yeah. No, see, to fulfill righteousness, scripture says, Rejoice with those that rejoice and what? Sorry. What's the other? Weep with those that What what did Jesus do with Lazarus and he, he, he wept with them, though he knew the end. He knew what he was about to do. He trusted he knew what God was about to do. He was going to raise him from the dead. It wasn't that he was, it was unknown. That just shows you the tenderness of when we understand the, the dynamics of the, the, the divine sovereign work of God as he did, he still entered into their hurt even though he knew the solution of Lazarus about to come out of the grave. He knew that. He knew that, but he didn't let that keep him from ministering unto them in that position, even though he knew it. And there's a lot we know that God's going to do, and that where we are right now is, is only temporary. The sufferings we're going through right now, the things Karen's going through right now, though they are, are big, we know they're temporary. They're temporary but we can't look past the temporary because of what we know is to come and fail to meet the need in the temporary. Are you with me? And that's why I say that, that that's okay. That's all right. And as Jesus kept saying, the kingdom of God is at what? At hand. It is before you. It is here. It is now. And it is, it is in you. Is what he was teaching them. It is, it is near those that haven't trusted. But those that are in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is is in us. And we know ultimately all things are going to be to the glory of God. And that we're going to get to celebrate in it all. And there is a far greater work of glory taking place that is to come. That can't compare in the sense that the temporary sufferings we're going through right now can't compare to what is to come. But nonetheless, we don't want to overshadow the moment. We want to be able to bring the kingdom into the moment and let God use it for His glory. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge for all of us. When you see other people go through hard times and difficult things, uh, God is extremely big. For us that know Him and know what He's done and what He's done for us, what He's done for others, the things we've seen Him do, the things we know He's gonna do, we can trust Him for mighty big things. But it's different when you're in it. That same God you trusted for everybody else that you knew what He would do. Well, that, He's the same God that you trusted then that He is now, and, and that's one thing we have to. We want to help others. Um, remember doing those times that we want to remember ourselves because I tell you there's eventually a time for all of us that that, that our journey's got to be tested. That same God we prayed for, that same God we walked with, that same God we encouraged others with uh, when he was big enough for them. But when we find ourselves and it gets real personal to us, sometimes we can't see past that and think, well, I know what he could do for Miss Barbara, but can he do that for me now? I trusted it for knowing he could for her, but could he for me, or vice versa. You know, when you're in it, it's, it, you can, it gets hard to see past the, the the grief and the pain and the sorrow. And we got to be careful with that. I, I've been paying, I've been watching some, look in Romans real quick. Turn to Romans. Romans. This is also dealt with in Corinthians. Remember these words. <coughs> Distress. Distress has a way of destroying. Remember that. Distress has a way of destroying. We don't want to be a distresser and we have to recognize that the ways that I handle distress are either going to propel me or they're going to hinder or cripple me. And how I help other people at the time. But Romans 14, is obviously dealing with the issue of food. Corinthians talks about it in 1 Corinthians 8. It says that in 1 Corinthians 8, that those that have the knowledge that we understand that God is creator of all, there are no other gods. No other gods exist. The, the people have idols but those idols are lifeless Those idols have no life They can't grant life They don't give life They can't see They can't hear They can't do anything Those that serve them and those that make them Are just like them The scripture says They're nothing We're we are aware of that So when people sacrifice to idols They're sacrificing to nothing There's nothing, there's, there's nothing to that And understanding that, Paul was teaching the church at Corinth that though you have understanding that God is the God of all and the Lord Jesus is the Lord over and there is nothing else, you may feel that you have liberty to eat meat that was sacrificed to these idols, but you might have a brother out there that has a weak conscience and he don't know what you know. And he said, you don't want to use your eating and how you eat and create trouble grief distress in your brother's life that's only going to mislead him down the road for something that you have knowledge about don't use that knowledge to your advantage you want to use that knowledge in the sense that you want to measure it out with compassion and love for relationship purposes and that is set the meat aside if it's a problem with your brother it's you don't need it it ain't going to help you either way when it comes to uh, walking with God, that meat ain't going to make you any better of a servant or any worse of a servant. So it's it's a non-issue. But what is an issue is how your brother looks at you when you're eating it or doing it. It, it can be a problem for him. And distress, look at this. Watch, watch what he says. I'm going to read in verse, let's see. Let's start in verse 14. Paul says, I know, I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers, who thinks of a thing as being unclean, to him it is what? In his mind, in his conscience. He has knowledge. If he considers something unclean, It's unclean to him and therefore he has to deal with it on that basis. But Paul's saying, I'm I'm at a place. I have a revelation that there is nothing out there in and of itself that is unclean. It's a matter how you look at it. Verse 15, yet if your brother is grieved. That word grieved is the same word for distressed. That if he's troubled... Grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Now, watch. Do not what? Do not what? Do not destroy your. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ what? Notice how he tied the idea of grieving and destroying together. Distress and Destroying, distress, fretting, grief in your life can't help but destroy your walk and your journey. That's what it does. It tears it down. And that's what he's saying here, that if you are allowing food to govern you and not your relationships with others, you are going to destroy the relationship with a brother for whom Christ died. You're going to destroy Him in a sense of you're going to weaken his conscience that he's condemning himself and what he might have liberty in. Or if he didn't have liberty in it and he saw you do it, so therefore he thinks now that he can do it, but he don't have liberty to do it. He's creating sin in his heart. And sin destroys. Amen. Amen. No matter how you look at it, sin destroys. Whether it was done maliciously, or whether it was done accidentally, sin is a destroyer. And if you're creating distress in somebody's life because of your lack of love for them, that that will destroy that person. So you got to keep in mind, distress is a destroyer. It, it it, It hinders you in looking and resting in the Lord. It makes you keep looking inward, inward. Inward. And anytime we're looking inward, that's self-destruction. And we're getting our eyes off of Jesus and our service to him. And we're more concerned about whether we're doing something right or wrong rather than looking to him and we put the focus in on ourselves because of what we see somebody else doing. And all that does is hinder that brother or that sister in their journey. Remember that distress is a destroyer. And I don't want to distress people in what I have the liberty and freedom in my conscience to do. So therefore, if I feel at liberty to do something, I don't necessarily have to broadcast it to everybody and create trouble for somebody that doesn't have that same liberty because distress in a person's life makes them continue to look at themselves, look at their circumstances, create questions and doubt and trouble. And that... Is sin. They sinning against the Lord. Why? They're not looking to Him. Whatever is not done in faith, the Scripture says, is sin. That's what He's going to... Look, let's keep walking down this and see. He says, verse 16, Therefore do not let your good, that would be what you have a good conscience toward doing, let your good be spoken of as what? Evil you got liberty to do something, you have freedom to do it, but because you are disregarding how other people may think about it, now that good that you're doing, that you had a free conscience to do, and you're doing in faith, is now bespoken evil of by somebody that doesn't have the same convictions. Now there are some things in our life that the Scripture is pretty clear on. We're talking about food here, and food is a non-issue. If you eat it or don't eat it, it ain't going to make a difference. Are you with me? That's what he's going to help us with. I'll, I'll show you that in a moment. He says, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit is acceptable to God and also approved by men. Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which may edify the brother. Do not destroy the work of God for the what? For the sake of food. We can destroy the work of God in somebody's life by being careless in our own journey and looking at, looking at what we have the liberty to do and can care less what other people might think about it. Are you with me? Amen. It's not being relational. It goes on to say, verse number 20, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it, it is evil for the man who eats with an offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is, of, is offended and is made what? Weak. You see, the destruction comes through the weakness. He's made weak. Do you, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is what? It's sin. So anything that my conscience bears witness that I condemn myself in is, an, is, is sin. Even when I'm condemning myself over on many issues, it's sin. Because... Everything we do m- must be, if it's going to be righteous, has to be done by faith. And the only way that to be done by faith, it has a rooted message or a word from God to operate in. But if I feel like I've got liberty to do something, but then I condemn myself in doing it, and I'm doubting and double-minded, I'm operating in sin on something that I thought I had approval to do, but I condemn myself in doing it, and that's sin before God. That's not approved before him. So I have to then recognize, okay, I can create that kind of trouble in, in my brother's life if I'm not careful. If I'm putting myself before serving someone else. And when that happens, now I'm starting to weaken, I'm starting to distress, and I'm taking somebody else down the path of destruction because I'm focused in more on me than I am being a blessing or help to them. Amen? Amen. So, that applies in so many areas of our journey, that if I find myself constantly in this grievous distress, that's weakening me rather than looking and leaning in and taking, putting my eyes on Jesus. Fretting uh, only causes harm. Uh, Psalm 37 teaches, fretting causes harm. But it don't only cause harm for me, it causes harm for for those that are around me. And therefore, I want to then be cautious about what may be creating this fretting dynamic in my life. Because not only is it going to weaken me, distress me, and destroy what God is building in me, but it has the potential to do it to you as you watch me go through. Are you with me? And that's where we want to, to take a, a good look at. And I said, go back to Psalm thirty. Well, I'll tell you what, go to, go to 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians eight. Think about Jesus for an example. If we're not careful, we fail to realize that Jesus was without sin. And everything Jesus did was a, was a direct result, what He heard from His father, seen from His father. Led of his father. So Jesus saw a lot in this old world that he didn't approve of. Are you with me? Amen. Don't y'all think? No. Everywhere he went, was it a constant bombarded of, of, of regular disappointment? In the sense that he constantly, everybody he went, every conversation that he had, do you think he heard uh, mistruths and lies and, and, and deception? Oh, it was a constant thing. But, but we want to look at how he, how he affected people. Even though he was among people who were not right, he understood his purpose was coming to make them right. But making them right wasn't going to be pointing out every detail about them personally. He took the opportunity and taught publicly of the fact that the kingdom of God was near and this is what God's been promising and it come as a light not only unto the Jew but unto the Gentile to set us free from this darkness so that we could be free to follow after him but just think I mean I just think about him walking down the street of, of dealing with everybody that he had to deal with And him having perfect revelation and knowledge on all things, it had to be just a a constant uh, picture of everything that was wrong, but the wrong didn't cripple him in the right that he came to do. He had an assignment, he had a mission to do. If we're not careful, see that's what knowledge will do. Knowledge will get you puffed up to the point where all you can see is all the wrong. And then you can't be effective of doing what is right because the wrong keeps tripping you up. Everybody's wrong. Nobody's right. Everybody's doing it wrong. Nothing they say is right. And, and it just can't, what does that do? It creates distress in your life. Well, we don't ever see Jesus distressed, do we? Amen. Not at all. He didn't rejoice in the lie because truth or love never rejoices in unrighteousness. It only rejoices in the truth. But what we find him doing is that his knowledge was constantly measured out by his love and that he loved those who wasn't right and he knew what he had for those that wasn't right and that he could make a difference in their life. And boy, the difference that makes in our life when we recognize we enter into a space, we enter into a group of people who are, who are living totally contrary to anything biblical, anything exclusive to Christ, anything to His message, how do we enter into that, that, that atmosphere? How do we enter in that space? Do we enter in with a revelation that, that we've been sent as a light and that God can rescue and redeem them like He did us? Will we approach it with we lay our, our preferences and our ways down so that we can reach them with the, with the good news of Jesus Christ with His kind of love and His kind of compassion and not letting their action dictate our actions and just learning from Him. So that's what we want to learn as we're reading about Him as He walked through this world because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves just like them Pharisees who constantly looked down their nose at everybody and said if they could only be like me, If they could only be like us, if they would only walk like me, they would have the world. But that was that hypocritical spirit that they had that they pointed out everybody else is wrong but never could see their own. And I want to tell you, we're not not flawless like Jesus, amen? Amen. We got the planks in our eyes and we got the spots in our eyes. We all got issues and, and, and we've got to relate to that, that hey... I'm not, I, I'm not free from judgment. I'm not free from being judged myself. I need to actually, I can't exempt myself from being judged. I need to have a filter looking at my life as I'm looking at everything else in life so that I can be right with God and love people and help lead them to Him. Amen? Amen. So, 1 Corinthians 8. I want to tell you, that's hard, ain't it? But see, Jesus is our, our wisdom. He's our example in this. So we look to him. He says in verse number, verse number, look in uh, verse number three. Let's just start there. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. Idols are nothing. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, so-called folklore, that, that false gods, yet for us there is one God and Father of whom are all things, and we are for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom all things whom, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not, everyone does not have that knowledge. we got to recognize not everyone knows that. Not everyone thinks that away. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat as if it is offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is what? Defiled. It's void of truth. It's defiled. Verse 8. But food does not condemn us to God. For neither if. Or commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better. Nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Y'all see that. If you eat it it ain't going to make you any better with God. If you don't eat it ain't going to make you any better. Ain't got nothing to do with us being approved or right with God. Food has nothing to do with it. Drink has nothing to do with it. You're not. You're not going to be any better or any worse with God on food or drink. It ain't going to make you better or worse. It's how we look at the food and the drink that's either going to condemn our conscience or give us liberty in faith to do it. But, verse number 8, verse number 9, excuse me, but beware for fear somehow this knowledge which given you this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are what? Weak, watch, for if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple will will not the conscience, and that means with knowledge of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother what? Be ruined or perish? For whom Christ, what? Can you see that weakness and that distress, that grief? Paul talked about it in Corinthians, said they'll perish, they'll ruin. But over in Romans, he says it'll destroy them. Because it destroys what? The conscience is being condemned and what they're doing is not done in faith and that only cripples your brother. So we don't want to live in that kind of way. We don't want to live in that kind of way. Go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And then, if y'all got anything else in Matthew, we'll talk about it. Psalm 37. This is just great principles to operate in. Psalm 37. Keep going back to this. You know, we were just in the Psalms. Notice the first words. Do not what? Do not fret. What's verse 8 say? Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not, it only what? It only causes harm. Not to just you, but what? Those around you. Those around us. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious, verse 1, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. They, they don't realize it, but there's no need to let the evildoer manipulate you. We want to be a help to the evildoer. We want to have a message that could be a difference in them, but we don't want to be manipulated by them because they have no idea that their end is coming. We, we want to hold them back. We want to step in. We want to have a that. See, Jesus came to a bunch of evildoers to hold us back from stumbling to the slaughter. Amen. Remember reading that in Proverbs? It says, hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. And don't say we didn't know it. Doesn't God know every heart and, and the deeds of every man? That's in Proverbs 24, 11. And we recognize that, so we don't need to be controlled by nor manipulated by the evildoer. Christ wasn't manipulated by this world He came to. He came with a solution for this world. That solution was a narrow gate. It was a narrow way. Why? He was God's only answer. It's an exclusive way. And it's the only way is in Him. And He knew that. And therefore He knew He had a solution and an answer. And that answer was God's answer. And he said, remember when He said that? Many will in later days when the Son of Man comes in His glory. Many will want to enter in by the gate. But He'll tell them, no, I didn't know you. They'll want to enter then. Why will they want to enter then? They're going to realize the truth, but they've run out of options. Yeah. See, right now, the world we live in has options. But for us believers, we, we recognize that there are not options. We have only one option. Right. That's God's option. And His options is His Son. That's His solution. But see, the world, just like in Noah's day, Noah went and preached, right? What was Noah? A preacher of righteousness. And the only option God gave mankind in that day was the message of Noah and that ark he was building. But the world looked at Noah and says, well, we got multiple options. And they chose the other options and not God's option. And there's still coming a day when they stand before God and they'll say, can we enter in? And he said, no, you chose the other options when I told you you only had one. See, that's the narrow gate and the narrow way is narrow because there's only one option. Amen. There's only one gate, and that's Jesus, amen. And in His way is the only way, and that's, that's God's solution. So we don't need to be manipulated. We don't have to fret. We don't have to let Him control in any kind of way. He goes on to say, instead, what do we do? If God is our only option... He's our only solution. He's our only answer. Verse 3 says, do what? Trust. Trust Him. If He's your only option, trust Him. Trust in the Lord and advance His good. Do good. Do what He asks you to do. When you trust, then what do you do? You dwell. Let Him plant you. In the land. Don't worry about the evildoers. He's planted you to be a missionary. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. What's verse 4 say? You trust Him and then what? Delight yourself also in the Lord. And He shall give you the desires of your heart. Okay, you're trusting Him. You're delighting in Him. That would be you're you're meditating. You're pondering Him. You're thinking about Him. What's verse 5 say? Do what? Therefore, if He's your only option, commit your way to Him. Commit your way, your work to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And what's verse 7 say? Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. we back to fretting again. So everything that's in between, not fretting, don't let the evildoers manipulate you. Don't let this world manipulate you. If God's your only option, make Him that only option and trust Him. Delight in Him. Commit your works to Him. Rest in Him. Wait upon Him. And you will cease, you will stop from being angry. And manipulated and fretting over the things of this world. And you'll start looking more and more like Jesus when he walked the streets of Galilee. Amen. Because I want to tell you that's exactly what he did. What did he do? He trusted his father. Yeah. He delighted in him. His ways were committed to him. He rested in him. He waited upon him. And you we <coughs> never find him fretting. We never find him angry over people. Not trust in Him. He doesn't make it personal. We see it. And I want to tell you this is a great solution for us too. I want to tell you trusting Jesus. Delighting in Him. Committing your way to Him. Resting in Him. Will, will deal. Not, not alleviate you from problems. But it sure will help you. Us deal with the problems. In a way that will bring glory to God. Amen. And not weaken our faith, distress our brethren, nor destroy those that are around us watching us in life. Why? Because we trust Him. We're delighting, meditating, thinking, seeking, uh, listening for Him, committed to Him, resting and waiting upon Him. And all of a sudden, man, we just start ceasing from this, this fretting and anxiety and troubles. That come our way, so it helps me that, that when I start letting people and circumstances manipulate me, and I start letting it want to push me and move me in certain directions, I just I have to come back and say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm 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 going back to the fact that I've got I've got one I got one option in this life. It's not mine; it's your option. You're my solution. You're my answer. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I don't have to have it figured out. I don't have to know everything you're going to do. I don't, know how, I don't have to know everything. How are you going to do it? I don't. You know, I I'll it with our grandkids. Your grandkids don't know a whole lot about you. They don't know where you've been. They don't know who you've been with. They don't know where you, what you've seen in life. They don't know all that you know. But you know they trust you. They trust you. They love you. And trust that you have, you've given them no reason not to trust you, right? No reason for not to trust you. Everything you've done was to prove you were trustworthy and that you 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 will protect them and bless them and help them and guide them. You've given them absolutely not one reason not to trust you. But they don't know everything about you. They don't know all that you know. They don't know where you've been. They don't know who you've been with. They don't know what you've done in life. Yeah, of course, as they get older, you're telling them more. You're revealing more. They're learning more. But as Jesus says, those that come to me like a child, simply like a child, childlike faith, of just trusting me even when you don't have the answers to everything in life. You just trust me knowing that I have that solution. I have that answer. It says it's those who get to enter in to the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. 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 We'll help each other walk with him even when we know everything's gonna are gonna work together for the good of those that love him. Okay? Father, we bless you tonight. Thank you for these ladies right here. We pray and laying hands on Miss Barbara. Uh, We know that there's not one thing you don't know about her. What goes on in her mind what goes on within her heart, what happens within her body. You know everything. You know every thought and deed. And that you have proven yourself time and time again. Your great love for her. You demonstrated that through the cross. And if you would not spare your son, how much will you not spare what we need to walk with you? I'm praying over tonight just asking you to touch her physically. I know these doctors that are going to be working on her, we'd already asked you even last Wednesday that you would use them, that you would give them a skill beyond themselves, that you'd give them insight and the technology to see what needs to be seen and the guidance of their scalpels and uh, minds and everything else that would be used to be uh, a tool to help Miss Barbara, to heal her. And we're just asking you to do that. we coming in faith. I think about that paralytic that was on the bed that we just read about. How when you saw the faith of his friends that brought him to you. And that's what we want to see tonight. We want you to see our faith, trusting you, believing in you. Asking you to touch her and be with Mr. Billy. Help him as he undergirds her. We pray for Carolyn as she goes on mission with her family to be a blessing to them. We pray that you'll get her home safely to us again and that you will use her there and, and keep her safe and that she'll have a grand time celebrating with one another. We're going to miss her while she's gone and we just thank you for her. We pray for Karen, that Lord you will help her. She has continued to struggle and uh, we know that uh, her heart is, is broken and we know that she is uh, grieved and will grieve and we know that Uh, You have surrounded her and you have helped her. You have put people on her job that's been such a blessing to her, people in her family, her church family. We pray that we all will continue to lift her up and continue to uh, pray for her and continue to undergird her and be there to help her and that we'd just be a shoulder that she can cry on, that she would be at liberty just to uh, celebrate or be broken and broke down before us. And we just thank you that you count every tear. There's not one tear that's not kept in a, bottle, in a bottle before you. You know them all. And Lord, we're grateful that not one hair on our head falls without being noticed by you. What we feel, where we been, what we think, what's going on in our hearts, you are fully aware. And we're thankful that you enter in our hurt with us and that you, uh, or our help, our strength, our rock, our refuge. And we just ask you to continue to sustain her and help her and continue to meet her needs and continue to bless her and give her vision and wisdom and insight and continue to lift her head to the heavens. And we just going to praise you and thank you for your kindness. We love all three of these ladies. We love our, our church family and we thankful for each one, what they mean to us. And we just thank for tonight that we can bring this need before you, knowing that you hear, that you answer and that you're at work in Jesus name. Amen. 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 amen.